Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Hey, if we haven't had um, the privilege to meet, my name is Gareth. I'm part of the team around here. And in recent weeks, we've been looking at this series called You're Invited. And we've covered things like you're invited to follow, about following Jesus. You're invited to rest, that Jesus is the invitation to rest. You're invited to peace and to build bridges, we looked at as well. And in all of that, the key question, the critical thing, is that God has an invitation to all of us. So whether you're, this is your first time in church, or you're watching online for the first time, or this is your hundredth time, God has an invitation for you. And he always does, and he always will. The key bit is, how will you respond What is your RSVP to what God invites you into your life? And today, you're invited to wonder. By wonder, I mean to ponder, to think, to reflect upon this idea that I'm going to share with you in a moment as well. You see, because there are moments in our life when wonder and this idea of thinking about things is increased, right? So if you're a student and it's exam season, I'm sure many of you remember that, in exam season you're thinking, oh man, what grades am I gonna get? And that feels like a really long time to wonder about that. And then the grades come in and hopefully it's okay. Perhaps when you've been on a date and you go and sit down in Frankie and Benny's opposite that person, you're thinking, oh, I wonder if they'll like me. And then you think about it a lot throughout your three courses. Or perhaps when you're buying a home and you're wondering, are we going to get our offer accepted? Feels like a long time to think about those things. Are we going to be the one to be able to rent this property? Or if you've ever watched Man vs. Food, you're thinking, I wonder if he'll eat all of it. And he actually does. I mean, this is a spoiler in the programme, really. I think he achieves it every single time. But we wonder about these things. And so there's this time every year when we get to September And then October kicks in and the clocks change and it gets really dark and we start to wonder about Christmas. And whether that's a kind of good feeling for you or a bad feeling, it creeps us in us and we all have to give it some thought. And so I took the time to put together a list of some of the things that we have to think about at Christmas. I hope that you maybe would agree with some of these. So here we go. So first one, buying gifts, wrapping gifts, delivering gifts. Christmas parties at work, Christmas parties at the gym, Christmas parties with friends, decorations on the house, decorations in the front of the house, decorations in the house, decorations at the back of the house, family to visit, family not to visit. Who is cooking? What are you cooking? When are you cooking? Are you having sprouts? Thank you, thank you. And there's so much to think about, and that's probably only about a quarter of your list for Christmas time. But the pressure stacks up. And it builds because all of this stuff around Christmas, all good things, come on top of life already. And there are many difficult things that we have to experience in life, and those don't go away at Christmas, whether it's family or finances. And it can be heavy, uncomfortable, and crippling. I know I feel that at times with some of these pressures. Thank the Lord for my wife, who's very good at decorations and that whole thing there as well. But it's, it's heavy and, and, and surely Christmas isn't meant to be this pressurised time, this time when pressure is heightened and it feels really difficult. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me speak to you candidly if I can for a moment. Just knowing the nativity story isn't the solution to taking the pressure off. We can know about it, we can rock up and we can be like, oh, we know the nativity story. And somebody tells us, what's Christmas about? And you're like, Jesus, he was in a manger 
that, that, that doesn't suddenly alleviate pressure for all of us in our lives. But if you haven't heard the Nativity story, let's put us on the same page so we know what we're thinking about this Christmas. 2,023 years ago in the ancient Near East, Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary. Then through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, Mary becomes pregnant and is told, you're going to have a son who is going to be born. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph has a dream, an angel visits him and it's all confirmed and they're all happy and then Jesus is born, God with us. And there we go, there's some donkeys, there's a couple of gifts in there, there's kind of an Amazon Prime deal going on here and there's some, <laughs> the wise men turn up and they've got next day delivery and it's all fine. Um, and there's, I think there's a camel somewhere as well. Um, but knowing this story doesn't relieve the pressure. However, I am convinced that within the heart of the Christmas story, within under those layers of personal experience or kind of everybody's circumstances and the way we may view and read that, there is a solution to this idea of pressure. And to do that, we're going to go to the source. So we're going to have a look at a text in the Bible by a guy called Isaiah. It would have been a scroll. It was a collection of his kind of wise words he had to say, some of its narrative, some of its poetry. And the interesting thing is this is foretelling the coming of Jesus and was written or put together, if you like, and Isaiah was around in 740 BC. So he had a pretty good idea that Jesus was coming and he said it's 740 years beforehand. And this guy Isaiah, he was picked by God to be a spokesperson to this nation of Israel at the time. But he particularly had access to rulers and people in authority to kind of guide the nation and the people how God wanted them to live into flourishing and into good things. If you've ever come across Isaiah, it definitely has these dual themes of judgment but hope. It can feel pretty heavy at times. It's like, oh gosh, God's got a judicial decision over our family, over our community, over people here, but there's always leads us to hope. And so in chapter seven, just before what we're gonna read in chapter nine, Isaiah confronts the king at the time, King Ahaz, and says to him, listen, mate, you're going down. You have ignored God's plans for your people. You have neglected the poor, it says in chapter seven. And this new king is gonna come and he is gonna be way better. He is gonna be God with us. So it's telling of this coming of Jesus. And so we're gonna jump into chapter nine, verse two. And you'll see it's a bit poetic in its language, but it's using this imagery and this stuff to kind of talk about the hope of this coming king. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, he's referencing there a victorious moment where God helped his people. You have shattered the yoke, we're going to come back to that word in a bit, that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. That's a long way of saying the battle is over. This was a thing they did when the battle had been won and they kind of were past that point. And then this is the key bit. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Now, much could be said about this passage and we could go into those various poetic images, but I'd love to focus in and give some attention to one element there. And that is where Isaiah claims that Jesus came to bear the weight. That Jesus came to take the pressure off. Notice there's a shift. In verse four, we see this imagery here of um, the shattering of the thing that was on people's shoulders. So it says, you've shattered the yoke that burdens people. You've got rid of the bar on people's shoulders. So that goes. But then there's a repeat of that word of shoulders and it switches over to and the governing will be on Jesus' shoulders. There's this change from what was on people's shoulders over to carrying on to Jesus' shoulders. It says the government will be on his shoulders. And to govern, as you know, whether we, whatever you think politically and however you stand in those ways, is to conduct the policy, actions and affairs of a state, organisation or people. So Isaiah is saying that it's now become on Jesus' shoulders to govern his people, to lead his people, to be over his people. Now you might be thinking already, so what? How does that have anything to do with me and or Christmas? Well, as Isaiah was looking ahead to something here of a foretelling of this coming king of this hope, we look back to something that has happened historically. So the weight has shifted to Jesus and that means there is a reality and an invitation that we can live and lean into. So a couple of things I'd love you to know, a couple of things that I'm gonna share that maybe you'd like to do or maybe even think about. Jesus came to take the pressure off for us as the individual for you. Jesus cares for you. When we looked at that word yoke, if you were here when Jane was speaking about the invitation to rest, this yoke was basically a picture of when two oxen were next to each other and had a bar that went over their shoulders as they ploughed the field. And Isaiah is saying here in this passage that for the individual, for you and for me, that has been shattered. Heavy things, oppressive things that weigh on our shoulders is shattered in the coming of Jesus. It says in Matthew 11, this was the way when Jesus says it himself to people in the first century. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Notice, not heavy burdens that Isaiah covered that were on people's shoulders, but Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Peter, who is one of the early leaders in, in the church, re-emphasizes this kind of picture for us as individuals when he says in his communication to the, to the early followers of Jesus, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You have to know that Jesus came to take the pressure off for you as the individual. But secondly, Jesus came to take the pressure off for us as the church. By that, I mean the kind of the group community, the called out people of God. Jesus is the head of the church, which means he's the boss. He's in charge and we look to him. He's the one we're to imitate and be led by. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the believers in Ephesus, in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, i.e. Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. And that means that when you come to church, whether new or you've been around it, there's no test to get in. You don't have to have a really good CV. You don't have to be interviewed. We are welcomed by Jesus, broken and messy, so we welcome the broken and the messy. Because he is the head of the church, not us. He says, come to me, be part of my community. That governing is now on his shoulders, and we look to him 
in those ways. And then he takes the pressure off for the world. For everybody, you maybe heard this before if you've been around church or followed Jesus for some time. John 3, 16 and 17 puts it this way. For this is how God loved the world. That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And he goes on to say that his invitation is to all. So I mean, God loves everybody and he takes the pressure off and the, and the burden off for people in this way. Particularly when, when Jesus came, he take the, took the pressure off for those consequences of sin. Of things that when we've turned our back on God, God has said, hey, it's okay, I brought Jesus and it's for all of you. And he's going to take the pressure of that as well. Now, you, you might know that, I might be able to share that with you. But I want to suggest, at least there has been for me, that there can be a barrier to us believing those things, to us living them out and receiving them. And the barrier is this, that what we think about God can stop us responding to his invitation. You wouldn't necessarily go to the party of somebody that you don't trust. Maybe you would turn down an invitation to somebody who thinks a bit of a party pooper and they're only going to have fruit punch at their party. Maybe that's not for you. Or maybe you just wouldn't even open the invitation of somebody you don't know. And so in the same way, we have to know what God is like. John Mark Comer, in his um, really kind of pertinent book, um, God Has a Name, speaks about this. And he puts it this way, that for all of us, the most ancient primal temptation going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden is to decide for ourselves what God is like. And whether we should live into his vision of human flourishing or come up with our own. He goes on to say that for all of us, we start on the same page. We don't know what God is like, but the good news is we can learn. And as we learn to know what God is like, in the person of Jesus that comes at Christmas time, maybe then the idea of him taking the pressure off for us as an individual becomes plausible. Or as the church, we think, yeah, he's a good God. He wants good things for us. He wants to lead us into human flourishing. He's not our party pooper. He takes the pressure off us because we begin to know what God is like. And so to cover a couple of those elements as we've read in Isaiah, I'd love to zoom in on those four titles that are ascribed to Jesus. And maybe for us today, again, whether follow Jesus or not, you might learn a little bit more about who Isaiah says he is and who Jesus is as he came to us. So he takes the pressure off as wonderful counsellor. Have you ever been around somebody who really listens well? They're attentive, they're engaged, they're present. It makes you feel valued, makes you feel affirmed, it makes you feel worth something. And Jesus is the best listener. Jesus is the best listener for you and for me. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the extraordinary listener. When we, in the New Testament, we see this picture of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. As he ascends to be with God into the heavens, this unseen realm, he actually sends a gift. He says, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And the word used for the Holy Spirit was paraclete. And it means comforter or advocate. And so today, you can know the Holy Spirit, God's presence with you, and he is a comforter, and he wants to come and be part of your life, and you can receive that invitation as well. Now, the pressure may not always evaporate in these moments, but it certainly can be eased by Jesus. 
And he comes as the comforter to ease us in these ways. And so the pressure can be lifted off when you share with him. Maybe you've never tried prayer before. It can sound um, really grandiose and it can sound like all we do is just talk to God. But actually, it is meant to be this relational dialogue where we can sit and be aware of his presence and we can share with him and he can comfort us by the scriptures or by his presence or by other people encouraging us because he is the wonderful counsellor. Secondly, he's a mighty God. The claim Isaiah makes here is that Jesus is God. It means he's communicating to us that this baby born, this son of God, is actually kind of this omnipotent, powerful God who cares about us. And C.S. Lewis, um, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, that's the one, (laughs) author of the Chronicles of Narnia, and many other Christian works as well, he puts it strikingly, actually, when he challenges a little bit of this framework of how we can view Jesus. So I'm going to read it for you. He puts it this way. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic or on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You see, when Isaiah uses this word mighty about Jesus, about God, he means one who comes to fight for you, fight on behalf of you. And that means there are pressures in our lives that Jesus can outright defeat. Pressures of addiction, free. Pressures of other things that can be crippling to us. Jesus can deal with them because he is God. He's not just a great human teacher. He can do things and change things in our lives. He has in mine and he can in yours if you will let him. Because he is a mighty God and pressures can be defeated when we let him take it on. Isaiah also says that he's the everlasting father. Which means Jesus doesn't work part-time. I've worked part-time, not slang it. (laughs) Jesus doesn't work part-time. He's not on a zero-hours contract and he just pops in for a Saturday morning and a Wednesday afternoon. He is loyal. He's always around. So from this day and from all the days that follow, whether in your 30s, your 60s, your 80s, In this life and the life to come, Jesus will stick with you. And the title of father here isn't actually to contend in any way with the kind of a bit of a Trinitarian view of God. It's not saying that Jesus is the father in that sense of things. Rather, um, Isaiah is speaking to the role of a father. And one theologian gives us these insights as to what that might be like as how we can understand Jesus. He says he's federally a father as in representing those like the leader of a tribe. He's the founder. It was a Hebrew thing. And actually, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, um, The Founder, which is the guy who invented McDonald's. It's that kind of idea that as a founder, he is the beginning. He is the author of something that has happened. And Jesus is the author of this new humanity that we get to be part of. But also in the idea of father, of the loving and tender sense of a paternal father. So we see that Jesus is this mighty, powerful God who fights for us, but in a loving and tender way can draw near to us as well. You see, the pressure of the future can sit with Jesus. When we think about, is Jesus going to walk out on me in 10 years or when I get it wrong? No, because he's the everlasting father as well. And lastly, the 
title ascribed to Jesus that many of us resonate with, particularly in a very kind of fast-paced, anxious-inducing age, is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And we all like some peace and quiet. Maybe you're introverted and that is your dream. A Sunday afternoon in quiet on a nice chair with a book is what you would like to do. And words like tranquility and calmness and stillness can come to mind when we look at that. And Jesus does absolutely give us those times of peace, whether when we're in a moment of prayer or we're with somebody and we can have that peace that comes from Jesus. But so does the ocean. So does a nice hot chocolate in front of a log fire. So does a walk around a country park. It brings stillness. It brings those sense of tranquility. You see, our definition of peace actually falls short of what Isaiah wrote and what is used in a lot of the scriptures as well because it means wholeness. It means he's the prince of wholeness. It means he's the prince of completeness. And so far more than just making us feel still and calm and tranquil, Jesus says, I want to bring your wholeness into your life. He says, I want to make you complete from the inside out because no hot chocolate, even if it's Hotel Chocolat, can't do that for you. (laughs) Not even walking over the Brecon Beacons and their new really kind of long Welsh pronunciation that we've got to call it now. None of that can solve it for you. It can't make you complete. But Jesus can and that's his intention. Jesus is deeply committed to bringing wholeness in your life. Wants to fill the gaps of loss wants to repair those things that are damaged and that we don't see, whether insecurity or pain or barriers and walls we've put up. Jesus can do that and he can bring those things. The pressure to have it all together, we can entrust to Jesus. And so in closing, there are these pressures that Jesus says, I can take them off for you. Individually, as a community, as the world. And my deep desire is that you would know today that God isn't this far off, aloof, angry, big, pointy man in the sky. But you would know he's a wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And perhaps your RSVP might change, might become open. Maybe you'd want to receive that today. Maybe you want to say, yeah, okay, I'm interested in this. The key thing is here, and I've learned this over a number of years, is we can't just say yes to Jesus one day and then just leave it. But it's a daily decision because he daily wants to be our counsellor, our God, our Father, our Prince of Peace. Could you imagine, maybe for some of you who don't follow Jesus and you're not sure and think these lot are crackers, that's fine, we are a little bit. But could you imagine a life being guided by the best listener and comforter there is? Could you imagine that when you have that struggle that feels so insurmountable, you don't know what to do, you can say, God, help me. And he can, and he will. Could you imagine never feeling like someone's gonna walk out on you, but having Jesus with you every single step of the way? Because we let each other down, I let people down, but Jesus won't let you down. And he's there every single step of the way. And imagine if it was more than just feeling peace, but actually this inner healing could come into our lives over time, making us whole, making us able to love others better, making us to have freedom because Jesus has invited us to that. And so there are a couple of practical ways I'd love to share with you that maybe 
could help in terms of learning a little bit about what God is like. Uh, number one is you could watch the series, The Chosen. Hopefully some of you have seen this by now. You might be thinking, what? Pastor's telling us to watch a Netflix series? Um, yeah, check it out. It's this um, kind of, I guess, film version of the life and teachings of Jesus. But what it does is it personifies the person of Jesus. It kind of helps our imagination to engage with what he could be like. And it's done really kind of well in terms of covering so many areas of theology and tradition as well. It's really balanced. So that's maybe something that you could do to check that out. Secondly, you could read or listen to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel, uh, which is essentially the good news about Jesus. Maybe Maybe this Christmas, maybe over this Advent season, you could read it and you could say, oh yeah, I get a bit of a glimpse, a bit of a picture who of this Jesus might be like. Or if you're the really mature Christian, there's loads of you in the room, I'm sure. You don't get to off so easily. Then lastly, maybe you could reflect upon God as wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Because you see, the thing is, and the invitation all throughout the kind of tradition of followers of Jesus is that we would have our minds transformed and renewed by the truth that is in God's Word. So uh, dare I say, it's only even been in my life when I've taken the time to diligently sit with the Scriptures and pray and talk with other people that I've become to know that this is God more and more and more. So don't be surprised, dare I say, that if you just kind of dip into some of that stuff once a month, that it can sometimes not become our reality. We have to lean into the way of Jesus. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that is done by what we let into it, by what we think about, by what we ruminate upon. And now I'm aware in all of what I've shared and, and offered to you today, that some of you really just need to know the pressure lifted off by Jesus. So I'd love to be able to give you a moment to do that. So I could invite, if you're willing and able to stand And then if today you're saying, yeah, Gareth, I'm really feeling that pressure, I'd actually like to ask you to take a seat. Sit down. Don't worry about standing. If you're thinking the pressure is too much in family, in finances, in some of what's going on, I'm going to ask you to sit and then we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that God, by His Spirit, would come and lift some of that pressure off. And I'm going to ask that if you're next to somebody, you can sit down now if that's you. If you're near somebody, would you just maybe check, just say, hey, can I pop a hand on your shoulder? We wanna stand with people who are feeling the pressure. We wanna come alongside people who are feeling that pressure. And so we're just gonna wait. We're just gonna take a moment. I'm gonna say, calm Holy Spirit, calm comforter of God. Would you release pressure off these people's lives? And if you're at home watching online as well, please do feel like you can take part. If you wanna take a seat in your lounge or wherever you're watching from, do so and then let us know in the chat and somebody will be there to be able to pray with you. That you would know God's presence in your home and in your safe space as well. So I'm gonna pray for these people now. What we're gonna do is we're gonna pray and stay where you are, stay next to those people for a moment. We're just going to begin to sing really gently in the background as people just encounter God and, and have some space and some time to be relieved of pressure. So could we pray? God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to come at this Christmas time. 
Thank you that your invitation to us is that we can have the pressure lifted off of our shoulders and receive wholeness. To know that you are faithful to us and loyal to us. To know that you want to counsel and guide us. And so in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you take the pressure off? Would you bring freedom into the lives of the men and women who are sat, feeling the weight of those things? Would they know you closely and experience a lifting of the pressure of that reality that you came to take it on your shoulders? We thank you, Jesus.